Hi everyone and welcome to Spark Leadership. I'm Windy Tepisomaledu, a senior behavioral scientist at Coach Hub and the host of this show. Today I have a pleasure of speaking with Sally Helgerson about her recent book, How Women Rise, Break the 12 Habits Holding You Back. Sally Helgerson's work is widely regarded as the gold standard when it comes to women's leadership. Since the publication of The Female Advantage in 1990, she has written five more books in the field and speaks to audiences all around the world about these issues. Her clients have included Microsoft, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, the World Bank and dozens more. She has led seminars at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Smith College, and her work has been featured in Fortune, The New York Times, and Business Week. We're going to delve deep into the habits that hold many women back, as well as discuss gender equality and sustainable future as we celebrate this year's International Women's Day. So I am so delighted to have you, Sally, on our our show today. I feel like a little girl in a candy store. A warm, (laughs) warm welcome to you. Thank you, Wendy. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Let me start by just celebrating the work that you do. I've been that little girl behind the scene who's been following your work as a woman. And may I say that I am indeed standing on the shoulders of giants and you are one of the giants that I respect in this industry. Thank you so much for your time to be with us today. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome. So let's just start in. How did you become an expert in this field? What led you into this path of women leadership? You know, I really backed into it. In the 1980s, I was working in corporate communications, mostly as a speechwriter. And what I noticed at that time was that the companies I worked for, which were excellent companies and very well run, seemed to have absolutely no understanding of what women could be contributing at a strategic level. Uh, There were virtually no women in leadership positions. And I would hear such good ideas from women and sort of, you know, around the kitchen table in the food preparation room, but none of it ever made its way into the corporate decision making. So I decided that what I wanted to do was to write a book in which I would look at how the most successful women leaders, there were some, but not where I worked, how they managed, how they led, how they did things, what their strengths were. Uh, And that book became The Female Advantage, Women's Ways of Leadership, which was published in 1990. And it was the first book Ever that focused on what women had to contribute as leaders rather than how they needed to change and adapt. And I think because it was the first, it really caused quite a sensation. And companies started to ask me in to speak to their women. There was no one else who was writing about what I was writing about. Everything else had been, you know, learn to play the game, etc. And uh, so... It just grew from there. And I thought, well, this is, you know, it's more interesting writing speeches for myself than for other executives. So I started speaking and then I was asked to do consulting and I've written eight more books and lots of articles and done coaching. So this has just brought me almost 35 years later uh, into having this, this really 
fascinating career, but it was based on that perception. You know, something needs to be done to help organizations understand the resource that they could have in women. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I like how you start that the conversations were happening in kitchens and everywhere else, but not in the organizations. So thank you so much for pioneering in that space and actually bring those conversations into organizations. So today we want to really look into this amazing book that um, you and Marshall collaborated on, How Women Rise, Breaking the 12 Habits Holding You Back. I actually love the story of how you and Marshall got to collaborate on this book and I'd appreciate if you would just share with us how did this book come about? This is how the book came about. In the years starting after 2010, I was doing a lot of workshops. So I was getting a lot of information from the women I was working with, not only about what was working in their careers, but what wasn't. And then in 2010, Marshall published this wonderful book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There which was about the habits and behaviors that hold people back, successful people back from moving on to leadership levels based on his experience as a coach. And I thought he had a a fundamental insight that was really brilliant, and that was that um, the we remain loyal to the habits and behaviors that we understand got us where we are, but these are often the very ones that can hold us back from succeeding at a leadership level. So I thought the insight was brilliant, but what I noticed uh, was that Marshall had a lot of habits in there that had nothing to do with most of the women that I'd been working with for many decades. You know, things like learn to apologize when, you know, I think women often apologize every time they open a door. And uh, things like, you know, don't always talk about how great you are. And I thought, well, this doesn't apply to most women I know. So I suggested to him that we collaborate, take his model, but look at the habits and behaviors that most specifically apply to women and how women rise is the result. And the extraordinary thing about the book is, to me, how resonant it has been around the world. We've sold rights in 19 languages Um, And people really, no matter what the culture or background, uh, it's shown me how much women all over the world really do have in common. So, I mean, I think that's that's another thing that I think that book is so powerful and such a practical tool, you know, to actually help women to reflect. I must say, I saw myself in the book in most of the habits, you know, um, and I'm sure that there are a lot of women who actually identify um, with the book. So. What has been, you know, one of the common challenges or trends for for women in leadership that has come out of this book since the launch of the book? Well, I think what I've seen, you know, I I get a good window into which of the habits are are widely resonant because when I do keynotes, I always ask the client to survey the people who'll be in the keynote and identify the three habits in the book that are most resonant for them. So a couple of things come up all the time, and the three, I'd say, that come up the most are this reluctance to claim your achievements, and then the other side of that coin is the other habit, expecting others to spontaneously notice and value your contribution. So you feel reluctant to talk about what you've contributed. So instead of figuring out a way to do that that you can feel comfortable about, you hope that other people notice. So it's a completely 
passive strategy, and it's not an effective strategy, but it's especially ineffective in a virtual environment when people don't see you. So that has been very resonant. And then the other one that I find over and over is putting your job before your career, you know, investing all your efforts and all your passion and all your talent in the job you have without necessarily thinking where you want it to lead you. And also expecting that, you know, if you do a good job, um, then that will lead to the next thing. And that's not always true. It doesn't always work like that. Um, because sometimes all you're doing is proving that you're the perfect person for the job you have. So uh, those are really, really resonant. And I think that, that they're having a big effect because I get emails from women all over the world. You know, I've read the book. And so I decided to tell my boss what I wanted to do next and ask him or her to, you know, support me in that and help me develop skills I might need and opportunities and broaden my network. So I think that's been a very positive thing that's happened in the world as a result of the book. Not to mention all the people have written me and told me that they asked for raises and got them. (laughs) Awesomeness. Awesomeness. So while we add it, let's put a spotlight on the second one around expecting others to spontaneously notice. What are some of the practical things? I think you've already shared them, but I'd I'd like you to go deep into them. Just share what are some of the things, because I think it's a big one. We assume all of us, they can see I work hard. And spontaneously a miracle is going to happen. But what are some of the practical practical things that you think, you know, women can actually start doing to be able to to deal with this habit? Certainly, there are a couple that are very practical, very hands-on. One is just to use the language of contribution. Women are often uncomfortable talking about, I achieved this, and I made this goal, and I made that benchmark. And if you use the language of contribution, I was able to contribute this to our effort. Then, on one hand, you don't feel like you're taking credit away from your team, which is often also a concern for women. Well, if I talk about what I did, isn't that, aren't we supposed to be a team? Aren't I taking away from the team? So if you use the language of contribution, you know, our team was able to achieve this. It had this, it was successful because of this. Um, my contribution was, but you always want to make sure that you mention what your contribution was rather than just expecting people will understand the part you played in it, because you need to have visibility for what you do. So language of contribution is very good. Another thing that's practical is framing what you are sharing about what you achieved or contributed as information that other people need to know. Framing it in your mind, because often people say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to waste their time, my boss's time by telling him or her that I did this, that, or the other. Um, it's information that may be valuable to them. So if you think of it in your mind, this is information that may be valuable for other people to know what I've done on this project. Then you'll get more comfortable sharing it. It's also a good way to speak about it or articulate it. You know, here's some information that might be helpful to you about the feedback I got from this client. So that's a really, really important thing. Uh, A third very simple thing is just simply keeping a list of the successful things you do every day or week. You know, we forget them. So we don't remember to tell people, you know, oh, yeah, you know, they were talking about 
this, and I remembered that I had done such and such, but I wasn't thinking of it. Remind yourself, keep a list, a little document on your phone or your desktop that just records that so you can share that. And you know, Wendy, this is so important. Um, It's not just promotional. It's really about the value you add in your job to your organization and to the world. And if we don't do this, if we expect others to notice, which they won't, (laughs) you know, maybe they should, but they don't. It's hard. People are busy. If we expect them to notice and they don't, over time we come to feel under-recognized and undervalued. And as a result, we will disengage. So they're losing the value that they could have from us. And, you know, when I do exit interviews, and I do a lot, um, the most common thing I hear from women is they never understood what I could do. They never understood it, what I was capable of. And you don't want to leave a job and say that if, if you could have changed it by representing what you do. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people you worked with to remain engaged. And you can't do that if you feel unrecognized. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with author Sally Helgeson. Thank you for sticking around with us. I think Sally said something really insightful that resonates with me so much about the importance of seeing our contribution in terms of the value we are adding in the world as women. That's just so profound. So as we move along in our conversation about women's leadership and empowerment, I was also curious about another habit that Sally brings up in her book, namely the disease to please. I asked Shelley to share her thoughts on how to deal with this common habit. Yes, and the disease to please is really privileging everybody thinking you are a wonderful person over what actually needs to get done. And this is a classic what got you here won't get you there behavior because if you're a wonderful person and people love working with you and you're appreciative and always in a terrific mood and helpful and empathic and loyal at every opportunity, of course people are going to like working with you. But all of those things, and especially being heavily invested in everyone having to think you're wonderful, is going to be very problematic as you have more authority because it's going to be hard to hold people to account for the job they're doing, you can have a terrible time trying to set any kind of boundaries for yourself because um, if you set boundaries, people might not like you or they might be mad at you or they might think, oh, she's always been so nice. I wonder why she's not doing that. So it really is one of those habits that becomes unmanageable and almost toxic when you're in a leadership position. So you can train yourself to get out of the habit by one of the most simple things you can do is to practice. When you need to assert a boundary or say no about something, or if you need to give someone an assignment or ask them to contribute, prevent yourself from elaborating. That is, just say, can you please do this? I'll need it by Monday. Or, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that Um, in the time frame you request. Don't then give a lot of excuses because that's what pleasers 
habitually do. They're not comfortable just saying no, or I can't do it, or please do that. So they're, they're, how would you please do that? And I know this may be a little soon for you, and maybe that's, you know, a deadline that's not so realistic given all the other things you've got going, or I can't do it, and I'm so sorry, but I have to do this. That kind of stuff. Just practice just saying, just stating what you need and then not adding to it. Because by doing that, you'll get yourself out of that mindset that you owe it to everybody to always meet their expectations. Because none of us can do that. And the busier we get, um, the more unlikely it is. There's one thing that's so important about the disease to please, and this is true for the perfection trap too. They are two habits that if you have them at work, you probably have them at home as well. So if you're trying to please everybody in your workplace, and you are also trying to please (laughs) your children at every opportunity, you're going to run into some problems. Right. State what you need. Yes. (laughs) That is very key. State what you need and stop over-explaining and apologizing, but state what you need. Let's shift gears and marry our thoughts around the book. We're tagging this conversation around International Women's Day. And um, the theme for the year is really gender equality for sustainable tomorrow. I'd like to hear your views around it. What does this mean for you as um, a woman who's been in the space all these decades? What does this theme mean for you? Well, I can tell you that the entire concept of sustainable development as it was articulated, particularly in UN agencies in the early 90s, was very tied up with gender. It was a recognition that the way a lot of development was being done in countries had negative impact on women and children. And it was really about producing certain short-term jobs, you know, a big dam project in the Zambezi Valley or whatever that would flood villages, create people you know, women and children who didn't have a place to live, but it would provide certain kind of jobs. So in in my mind, because I was there and I did some work with them at the time and did projects in Egypt and Zimbabwe and Pakistan, it's always been clear to me that women's concerns, which are concerns with preservation and nurturing of the next generation, are at the heart of the whole idea of sustainable development. So women must be on the forefront and that it is very important for women to have some solidarity at a community level that is invested in the idea of, you know, let's protect our land and our resources so the next generation will have it. Thank you for for laying that foundation for us. So let's take that conversation into the organization. What should organization do to create that sustainable tomorrow for women in the workplace and women in leadership? Well, the sustainability, I think, is, is looking at making incremental and constant improvements in products and services that keep customers and clients coming back. 
And I really follow the model of my uh, colleague, Hubert Jolie, who wrote a wonderful book called The Heart of Business, which he published this summer. Hubert was the CEO of Best Buy, and he talks about how he rejuvenated Best Buy by reversing the standard pyramid that focuses on profits and then customers and then employees last, that he reversed it. And his idea was, if your employees are happy, they you will have satisfied customers and you will make money. So I think that that focus on how can we build a base of satisfied employees who are able to contribute at their very best at both the tactical and strategic level in order to provide excellence in our products and services. So being able to focus first on employees, I think, is is really the heart of building a sustainable enterprise in the business environment. And part of finding a way to build satisfied employees is, of course, looking at the broad spectrum, the highly diverse talent base. And women are a primary part of that. We're about to end the show, and I'd like uh, you to share your predictions of you know, the future of women leadership. If you were, you know, that coaching question that we asked, that miracle question around, we're looking into the future. What does the future of women leadership look like from your perspective? From my perspective, I see it as tremendously strong, tremendously strong. I have watched women evolve as leaders for over 30 years. Women are far more confident than they were in the past. That's number one. And that confidence keeps growing. Number two, there is such a much greater sense among women of solidarity than there was. When I started in this work, senior women wanted very little to do with, say, a women's network or women's initiative. You know, they'd say, I want to be known as a leader, not a woman. And uh, there's much more solidarity among women, and that's a very, very positive thing. So the confidence and solidarity combined along with a greater awareness that we need male allies and that men need to be part of this effort. In addition, a lot of the relationship skills at which women uh, excel, and that's statistically verifiable, Uh, are becoming more and more recognized as leadership skills. So I think all those things uh, combine for a rather bright future once we get through the, the stage of the pandemic that's being, you know, holding a lot of women back right now. Thank you so much, Sally. I wouldn't want to add to that. These are the predictions. Watch the space as women rise tremendously strong, as Sally has already said. And I think we're excited about this. Um, we are looking forward. Once again, Sally, thank you so much for your time. I guess um, what comes to my mind now is that in South Africa, when we describe women, we say, meaning you are the rock. Thank you for being the rock. Thank you for being the voice of, of the generation, of our generation. And thank you for all the tremendous work you've done in this industry and pioneering. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Wendy. I've loved every single moment of talking to you. For me, this has been just the kind of inspirational conversation that I needed on this International Women's Day. Let's all get out there and break those habits that hold us back. 
If you like what you've heard and want to explore more, head on over to coachhub.com to learn how we democratize coaching across all career levels. Thanks everyone for listening. Join me next time as I speak to Shamane Roche. Shamane has been developing thinking around coaching for social justice and enjoys convening spaces for challenging conversations. We'll be challenging the norms of coaching. You don't want to miss out. From everyone at Coach Hub Studios, have a wonderful day. Happiness.